Steve McQueen, and Paul Newman race against time as one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. The towering inferno. It's out of control. It's coming your way. Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox present Irwin Allen's production of The Towering Inferno. Steve McQueen. Paul Newman. William Holden. Faye Dunaway. Fred Astaire. Susan Blakely. Richard Chamberlain. Jennifer Jones. O.J. Simpson. Robert Vaughn. And Robert Wagner. The Towering Inferno. Those people are going to die up there. Something's not done. Watch me out of here. So you can stop worrying about me. What about me down there worrying about you? I'll never let you go anywhere without me again. I'll be back with the whole fire department. The Towering Inferno. Set me down on the scenic elevator. Now, the producer of the Poseidon Adventure brings you more spectacle, more stars, more suspense than you've ever seen in one motion picture. Steve McQueen is the fire chief. Paul Newman is the architect. Step by step, floor by floor, this is a race against time to save hundreds of people trapped in a night of blazing suspense as the world's tallest building becomes the towering inferno. The towering inferno. theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. Oh. There's the tagline for the movie, Mark. It's so not an anime. <laughs> so not an anime. Yes, we are running a little late. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the spoiler room. Thank you for coming down the stairs. Pulling up a chair. Pop in your favorite drink. I'm untwisting mine. Huzzah. As we talk movie spoilers. And tonight, excuse me, we are kicking off our flaming fall month here. And uh, what that entails is that we're going to be looking at four films with the word Inferno in them. Now, uh, for tonight's film, I scheduled it this week on purpose because I didn't think that it would be any appropriate for next week to be scheduled. And we're looking at the towering inferno from <laughs> oh, no. It was a conscious decision. Trust me. 
Trust me. I was like, I came up with the movie. I came up with the movie list. I'm working on the schedule. I was like, uh, no, <laughs> no. Wow. Yeah. I just put that together. Mark. Damn it. Yeah. Dodge the bullet there. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about it this week, but it is a film that we'll get into that does pay tribute to firefighters and such. And I, I, I did not expect that, but tonight with me, you heard his voice, the right-hand man. He keeps coming back for more, and he's with us tonight to talk The Towering Inferno from 1974. It's none other than Mr. Ian Simmons. Hello, Ian. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about this because this was a first-time viewing for me. I know. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this is only, It's only my second. I, I actually mm. talked about this on my podcast, mm. I want to say it was like five years ago or something. Sure, but sure. It was so I watched it again, mm-hmm. all nearly three hours of it, <laughs> yes. and I, I swear it's probably because I'm getting old and I forget stuff more easily. Sure, but it sure. was almost like I was seeing it for the first time. I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this and find out what you thought on your first viewing. Well, uh, since uh, uh, you are excited, oh, you can give the synopsis. Go ahead. It's it's not that complicated. <laughs> it's not. Um, it's the prequel to Die Hard. Um, <laughs> you've got this yeah. Giant skyscraper in California, and uh, trouble happens. Um, there's nefarious. There's bad actors. There's a, a helicopter accident. Um, <laughs> people dodging giant flame balls. I, it had a lot like of I, Die Hard feels to it. I'm watching it going. I, Right. And I'm, but here's the thing. Die Hard is such its own iconic movie, as is yes. the Towering Inferno, that I don't care. I'm like mm-hmm. seeing these connections. I'm like, this isn't I mean, OK, they came out like 14 years between <laughs> between films. But uh, yeah. So anyway, the Towering Inferno um, is uh, Paul Newman plays an architect who has just put the finishing touches on this marvel. It is now going to be the world's officially the world's tallest building. And they're having a big grand opening ceremony for it. Uh, William Holden plays the owner of the company, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, they're having this giant gala up on the like the 130th floor of this damn structure. <laughs> and uh, it's a whole, it's a celebrity packed, you know, it's a who's who of 1974, including Orenthal James Simpson. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, one of the lead, I guess the guy in charge of overseeing all the contractors, cut $4 million worth of corners, mostly in the electrical and early warning systems departments. And uh, yeah, small fire breaks out in the building, gets to be a large fire. Pretty soon, the whole place is a gigantic death trap. And Steve McQueen shows up as the heroic fire chief. <clears throat> uh, and over one long hellish night is trying to get people to safety and there's you know the the thing about this towering inferno which is based on two books the glass inferno and the tower uh is it's business and residential so you've got like apartments with you know people have to be gotten out of there there's this great glass elevator i guess thank you roll doll that's going up (laughs) the side of the building that uh comes becomes very important later on i mean yeah it's done with uh i guess like models and you know they didn't actually set a giant building on fire but damn it it looked like it and those escape uh, the escape scenes with the ropes towards the end i was watching this on my tv and i felt motion sick and this is the second time i've seen it (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it's it's an amazing film. I uh, watched it, and I'm just I'm just I'm floored by it because I'm watching it. You know, I'm like, okay, another disaster film. But I had heard the good things, and I, I saw the cast, and I'm like, okay, you know, the, the cast, interesting. You know, uh, the choices they make in that, and, and it's like half a Hollywood because <laughs> disaster films, folks. You you know, you think you might be a newer thing to where you have all kinds of cast members in a disaster film. No, they've been doing this for ages with a disaster film: earthquake, towering inferno, the you know the Poseidon adventure. You know, <laughs> all of these have had just massive amounts of Hollywood talent. I think between earthquake uh the Poseidon adventure and this you you have hired almost all of hollywood working at that time in some way shape or form everyone except ernest borgnine well, but yeah. you know <laughs> yeah we love you ernie um <laughs> but in this one i couldn't be- i just couldn't believe the amount of people they had i mean you, you know i'm like sitting here going and I, what i love is you've watched the credits at the beginning you have the last credit before they go into the other, uh, you know, positions of the film, the other crew, Dabney Coleman is even in this. And I was trying to find out where he was at. I, I don't. I, was he one of the firemen or something? Because. I, oh, you didn't find him. No. Yeah, he was at the he comes in at the very end of the movie. He is the like the. Well, no, because Steve McQueen played the fire chief, yeah. so he's, I guess, the lieutenant or whoever oh, okay. the hell's over him. He's the guy with the mustache who's like, yeah, you got to go up there and blow those charges. Yeah, that's him. Barely recognized him because I was looking for him. I'm like, he got he got last Billy? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, with, with all the names they have in here, sure. I mean, The Towering Inferno to me, it it was one of those to where, yeah, I was like, when I saw the runtime, I'm like, oh, how 2023 of you, Uh, (laughs) you know, at almost three hours. But this movie does not feel like three hours. And I will argue this is this falls in line with kind of those neo sci fi, if you could use the term films in, in, in like it's modern. It's present day but like the tower has all these extra gadgets and special features and dials and i love the sets for this by the way being the practical guy i just loved all the dials and lights and shit um but you know it it is kind of sci-fi kind of like the big bus and some of those other like where you have its regular you know current times but they have this extravagant like way beyond the technology of that time period. So it's almost in a way a science fiction film, you know, and almost in a way a horror film, you know, there's always that debate of are disaster films, horror films. And I'm like, it depends, but some of them can be. Oh yeah. And you know, we brought next Monday, of course, is the anniversary of nine 11. And there's a lot of, you know, what might be considered triggering imagery in this movie Mm -hmm. of people trapped in a room and the fire is coming through the door at them and they either jump or are propelled out of these windows and they fall like spectacularly to their deaths. I mean, not, not that it's a great spectacular. It it is a spectacle. Like you see them go all the way down. It's not particularly, you know, gruesome or they don't overdo it, but it is chilling to watch because you feel it. You feel like, oh my god! I feel like I'm go. I'm being pushed to the edge and out this window, and I'm, you know, what a horrible way to go. And especially, 
uh, you know, towards the end of the film when everything just starts to break down because the fire is consuming the building. All of their escape plans fall through. The backup plans fall through. The backups to the backups fall through to the point where you've got 12 people on this external glass elevator and they're starting to send them down in groups or they can send one, one group, group down. down. They can't yeah. get it to go back right. up, but they can at least get it to go down. And of course, a giant explosion happens as it gets down to one of the more affected floors, rocks the car forward and this lady who just developed this loving relationship with Fred Astaire, she goes tumbling out the the open door. She not only uh, and she you're not, like she not only goes oh, out the oh, open she, door, she also saves a little girl. She saves a little girl and she falls, but she doesn't fall straight down. She like kind of falls to the side and does the the header off one of the balconies and then continues on. Again, you see it from far enough away, but you're like, oh. And it's just it goes to show the randomness and the heartlessness of this, because, yes, there are some evil characters who die equally spectacularly. And you're kind of sad to see them go. But that was one of the moments you're like, oh, man, I really want to see her get together with Fred Astaire. I hope they're going to be. Oh, shit. <laughs> and, and well, they, they do that a number of times because of. When you have this many stars in a in a disaster film, I was wondering who was going to survive and who wasn't. You know, it's always interesting to see what choices they make, and there are a number of surprise deaths in this film. Uh, and, and you know that keeps you on your toes. You're right; it it shows the randomness. And I'm going to fully say, I did have some. I won't say like full on trigger. But it was eerie watching how they portrayed things here in the hotel as things got worse and remembering the events of, you know, 9-11. And I'm like, ah, it, it got an extra eerie feeling to it, watching it the way it was portrayed that I might not have had before 2000, you know, 2001, because uh, I was like, who you know <laughs> you know it it really it really caught me it it, it did um it, because the way it's portrayed it did bring back imageries that you had seen uh, many times and that in the media and that when the real uh you know in real world kind of uh life imitating art in many ways of what had happened so yeah watching it portrayed here i was like wow this is this is eerie you know uh and and but even if it wasn't for the events that have happened, you know, over the uh, uh, what twenty some years ago, um, I apologize, I don't remember the exact date right now. I think it was was it two thousand one or two. I always yes, oh one one oh one. It was oh one. So you know, twenty two years later, and that and I still remember that imagery. So seeing this film, there's that extra layer, <laughs> you know. Um, but even if it wasn't there. I think it would be, even if it's not portrayed that gruesomely, there are some pretty brutal scenes in here. Um, yeah. Name, namely with, um, um, uh, who was it? Was it Wagner and... Robert Wagner, yeah. Robert Wagner and his secretary, who he's having a, you know, they're having an affair with. Um, what happens to them, I did not expect. Yeah. Now, I'll be honest. 
watching it this time. I started it in the mid-afternoon, but I was very tired. So I was kind of like, I was honestly like nodding off. I was in and out of the first 45 minutes. And the first 45 minutes of this movie is all character setup. Mm -hmm. You do get the establishment like, oh, there's a small fire here. And, you know, we got to check this and all that. But most of it is just getting to know the characters, which is a very, it's a strong suit. But there's a lot of conversations about business and, you know, Doug is the Paul Newman character. Is What's he going to do now that he's achieved his masterpiece? And, you know, he's kind of seeing Faye Dunaway's character, Susan, and, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, William Holden's character, Jim Duncan, the, the big wig. He's got his daughter and his daughter's husband who works for him. And he's the one who's cutting corners. So it's kind of like corporate politics and stuff. I was like, I, I don't know what's going on here. But so was Robert Wagner's character and the secretary, they were sleeping with each other. Yes. But was it an affair or was it just the fact yep. that he was her boss? I couldn't I didn't I didn't remember what the, the deal was there. I shouldn't say affair. When I say affair, I don't mean affair like he was cheating on his wife. Affair as a boss secretary relationship of right. sorts, you know, and, and that sometimes referred to as an, an affair they they're they're have a relationship and their boss you know secretary so that's not exactly a business appropriate they're keep- but yeah they're, they're keeping it from uh from everybody else uh in fact because there's that big dinner party and robert wagner's character comes up to the office and he's like uh, you know, Lori, I need you to, you know, take a memo for me or something. And one of the other secretaries is like, oh, if you just left, I'm sorry, if, if you just left with me 10 minutes earlier, you wouldn't have to stay late. She's like, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, and then we find out why. Yeah. It's like... Right. But the, but the nice thing is like, and it's something that you don't really see a lot of mm-hmm. in, in movies, certainly and on television, but the, it's going to sound, I don't want this to sound offensive, but sort of the older secretary, mm. you know, and this, it's not like this businessman is going after the the twenty something you right. know hot chick or, or you know whatever. They are two adults who really seem to have affection for each other, and that really comes out later in the movie when he's about to sacrifice himself. He's got some degree of confidence, but he also kind of knows this might be it. But you know, there you can really feel the love there. Mm-hmm. You don't get a whole lot with these characters, but what you do get feels really special, and that's what makes it all the more sad like when robert wagner when he they're trapped in this apartment and he douses himself in towels and goes out and he's like i used to run track or something and then you see him trying to make his way through this burning room to get to the other side to get help it's like he never had a chance and then she gets taken out it's just like ugh. it's again it's it's the same kind of randomness of death that does this isn't a movie that you go to like a horror movie you're like oh i can't wait to see how these people get yeah. chopped up it does make you feel kind of sad and heavy inside, but like you've been entertained, strangely enough. It, it's it, it's a heavy movie. It it does get, and and you know that's the advantage I think when they do movies like this, and it, it's it's the writing too. I mean the film the film is really well written, but when you get this group, that's why I kind of love ensemble films because I always like to see how well it's going to go. But it, when you get this group and, and caliber of actors, even in small roles, those small roles have an, get meat to them because you're right. I mean, we don't get a whole lot of screen time with uh, Wagner and Laurie, I think it is. Um, Susan Flannery's character, I think. Um, you know, we don't get a whole lot of time with them, but the performance and the way they're written enough 
you feel for these characters enough to where then when it happens and then, yeah, there's a moment later on it comes back around when the firefighters get up there and actually control the fire on the floor. They manage to find a watch <laughs> that has his name on it. And they go, one of you know, they ask if it's a firefighter. He goes, one of yours. He's like, no, it must have been a civilian. And it's like, wow, that just that's just God, it's eerie. It's very eerie and effective. Well, also, I mean, uh, Car the character of Carlos, uh, played by Gregory Sierra, he's one of the he's essentially the bartender at this big you know party, yeah. working with the rest of the staff. There's this great scene where the two kids who have been rescued by you know Paul Newman and the the doomed lady who falls out the elevator later, um, they make it to safety inside this party. Now they're all trapped and have to figure a way out, but things aren't quite as dire yet. Right. So, Carl or yeah, Carlos makes the two kids these huge like ice cream sundaes and he like gives it a little cherry on top and he smiles and he's a really you know kind of a cool background character and he almost makes it to the end almost 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 and then a fucking statue falls on him and impales him and then you say oh maybe he's gonna be and then the blood yeah, squirts yeah, out of his yeah, mouth yeah. and he falls limp i'm like oh uh, carlos no carlos, <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing is it's that unpredictability, um, and as much as you don't like to see that, and you you don't want to see these characters die. On the other hand, as far as for a compelling story, it definitely gives you that by having that randomness. Like suddenly, wait, that guy just was one of the top bills, and he just he just died. You know, he just caught fire and died. It's like, oh my god, nobody is safe in the film. You know, and and I guess the one bad guy you could put in here, because it's not even, I mean, it, it is, it, he's kind of the pseudo bad guy, which would be William Holden's character, who you barely will recognize with his leisure suit and his glasses. And I'm like, wait, that's, that's William Holden. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, but you're, 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 I guess the guy you could probably consider the most uh, evil is Richard Chamberlain? <laughs> oh yeah. It's like, wait, Richard Chamberlain's the heavy? He's he's the antagonist in this film, and he makes for a great heavy. I mean, that's he the does. thing is like watching this, you know, again, you get the feeling that Duncan, uh, William Holden's character, he's not really a bad guy. He's a businessman right. who has entrusted, and he runs this, as with people who run these gigantic companies, yes, there's a line, you know, there's a line of thing like, yes, they're ultimately culpable for everything because the company, they are the steward mm -hmm. of their company. However, if we're to run a, ma a massive multinational corporation or whatever he's got going, he's got to entrust people to carry out his orders. And he hired Richard Chamberlain's character to you know cost effectively get this thing built and duncan is so confident in this building because he believes that everybody has built it to specification that they haven't cut corners they've just built it cost effectively but he keeps telling people like no a fire can't break out in here it's state-of-the-art everything we've got detectors and sensors and all this other stuff the wiring is 100 percent he keeps bringing this up throughout the movie whenever people keep trying to tell him no the building's on fire it's like that's impossible because he genuinely believes 
because he's been led to believe that everything is above board. But no, Richard Chamberlain, Richard Chamberlain is like, you know, you never you never bothered to look into the details. I told you I was going to save you a bunch of money. And I don't know if this is actually said, but I'm sure Duncan was thinking it. Yeah, I meant save me a lot of money, but not if it meant that you could eventually burn this whole place down and kill hundreds of people. <laughs> I'm not a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he genuinely felt for it versus Chamberlain's character, who, like I said, through and through is the bad guy in this. He gives two shit. He's the guy at near the end when they have the rescue chair that he he rallies guys to to the rescue chair to because he's like, okay, because they do because they're in this promenade and they they try to rescue him by helicopter, but the crosswinds are too bad and the helicopter crashes. There's fire below. The one escape they could go through, the stairs goes out. The door is blocked from concrete, from bad construction. So they finally have to do these retrieval chairs to where they do this wonderful thing with ropes and pulleys and that to get this uh, one-by-one chair uh, you know, to the to the roof of the closest building. And so they drew numbers. I mean, Paul Newman's Doug Roberts character is a great character in here um, because he, he tries to keep his head on things even as things are falling apart. And he comes up with the system of them drawing numbers, first the women and children and then the men. And so they get all the women out uh, one way or the other. Uh, and then it's all <laughs> the guys that are left. And then suddenly it turns into like, you know, it turns the Lord of the Flies, you know, Simmons, Chamberlain's character gets enough guys rallied together going, no, we're going to take it. And so they, they, they bum rush the guys and they hop into the chair. And of course, as you would imagine, there's more than one guy on there. The Senator Robert Vaughn of all his character, he ends up trying to crawl on the chair. And of course, you know where this is going to go from here. Well, um, he... His character, I thought, was trying to pull Chamberlain's character off, and he, he kind of got yeah. and he got hooked on. Yeah, on, yeah, he got hooked on. Mm -hmm. And the, it's it's bad enough because, like, first of all, there's a couple of things going on with this chair. It's like this rickety. I guess it's made out of metal, but it looks very flimsy. There's a there's one lap strap, right, and it's secure-ish if it's you know in perfect mm -hmm. conditions. You're still a thousand feet over San Francisco or whatever. It's, it's very harrowing. You also got to consider that when you see it going down between the two buildings, uh, the rope system, there's still fire coming out. So yeah. you're like, at what point is like a, the, the a burst going to just come char these ropes? Cause they're not like metal cables. It's just no. like really thick rope, but also this basket is like swinging in the wind and people are terrified to go out by themselves. When you get like three or four guys, hang on this thing and it starts going out and then richard chamberlain starts kicking guys off of this yeah thing it is the most brutal like desperate he's like there's it's there's too much weight it's not gonna hold he starts like kicking people and then it flips over and everybody falls out and like oh man it's so it's so hard to watch even though these are the again the quote-unquote bad guys you still realize this is what could happen to anybody right. in an hour of desperation yeah, and and I think that's what adds to it is the fact that uh, everybody in here, the decisions and stuff, you're you're looking at it going, you could see this happening in in real life, and unfortunately, in many respects, uh, we have. Um, so seeing it portrayed back in nineteen what seventy four, uh, is is like you know, 
just eerie. And, and again, it, it's partially too, because of the talent that you have, you know, uh, they, and even amongst all of this, they make a statement about corporate greed. They make a statement about how, uh, you know, uh, capitalism, uh, if you will, about this all mixed in with this, like Doug Roberts, who is the, the architect played by Paul Newman, fantastically, there's a number of points to where he's like, don't blame me. He's like, I, he's like, they didn't follow my specs. He's like, if they would have followed my specs, you know, and listened to me and not opened the building early, it's basically Roy Schneider telling the mayor, don't open the beach yet. There's still a shark out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. It does get a bit messagey towards the end, but the nice thing is, is you can actually see the results of what they were trying to, right. <laughs> what they were warning against, you know, in full towering, flaming, living color. Um, I, we talked about firefighters. You know, yeah. this movie is dedicated to firefighters at the beginning and yep. at the end. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about it is Steve McQueen's character, um, uh, Chief O'Hall- O'Halloran. He this movie shows the heroism of firefighters without turning them into superheroes. Mm-hmm. Like all these people are just, you know, regular blue collar dudes trying to figure out these impossible problems, working their asses off, sweating. You see the effects of this. There's a great scene towards the end. It's right before it's, I think he has just um, gotten the golden elevator mm-hmm. down. He figures out a way to, <laughs> to get this thing down because after the the accident with the fire it is now hanging by a single cable tipped over you know a hundred stories above the ground with you know 11 people in it he figures out a way to get helicoptered with a giant hook over to it to work with another firefighter to hook it onto the elevator torch the cable to separate it from the building and then lower it down to the ground and oh by the way the other firefighters up on the top with him slips and he's hanging over san francisco with steve mcqueen holding him by the hands by the arms after all of that and this is still several hours after dealing with this fire and other capacities he's just in the hallway slumped mm-hmm. up against the wall staring off into space with just the guys like, with yeah yeah with the other guys there's like it's like the trauma line and then someone comes up and says uh chief you, you're needed they gotta talk to you about something and five minutes later he's finding out oh yeah we also need you to go on a suicide mission because only two people in this company know how to blow shit up and the other guy's dead yeah and so it's like okay now i gotta go kill myself to save these people <laughs> but it's not there isn't like a grand heroic speech. You see the bit of resignation. You see the determination. This isn't a Michael Bay film, even though it's a big Hollywood blockbuster. They made them differently back in the 70s, I'm telling you. And it's just, it's the best kind of heroism that you could possibly want to see. And I think we need more of that in the movies today. Oh, Chief O'Halloran, uh, Steve McQueen is is one of, quickly became one of my all-time favorite cinematic characters. Um, This is a character... He doesn't get his own theme. He doesn't get a dramatic camera. He doesn't give a huge speech. This guy goes about doing his job as a firefighter. No nonsense. He's a no-nonsense guy that just evaluates the situation. He's a leader. He's like, you know, 
and like they get the one point where they've got the uh, they discover the one exit's blocked. So he asks for two volunteers for firefighters and everybody steps forward and he just kind of he smiles a little and he's like, OK, you two go, you know, and <laughs> he's making decisions like that. He's in and and that, too, is what I found. What I loved about this film, too, was its portrayal of the firefighters. You can tell it is intended to give honor to firefighters because we get quite a bit of footage of seeing how they try to fight this fire you know we see guys ceiling falling on guys we see guys and they just keep going you know it, mm-hmm. it's it, it, the way they're portrayed is is fantastic you can see the appreciation and they're showing look this is what these guys go through you know well it's you know you can see look at like top gun maverick from last year which is like people are harping on it because like oh it's just military propaganda and recruitment for the navy i'm like well yeah um (laughs) but the truth is we do need people to come and defend our country but what i liked about this is in a way this is firefighter propaganda but it's one of those things like if you can get through this movie and you still really want to be a firefighter you know we'll we'll sign you up because yeah. there it's not a glamorous job is portrayed in this mm-hmm. thing like your friends get killed horribly you might have to work insane hours to put out the problems of millionaires and billionaires <laughs> while you, while you're making you know whatever 10 20 grand a year i don't know back in 74 whatever it was but it's a thankless it's sort of a thankless job and it's a it's rough work um but it's it's noble work i think there's there's a spirit of nobility that permeates the towering inferno that again, I think we need to see more of in these kind of movies that were churning out as these were the popcorn flicks of the seventies, Mark. (laughs) This is, we, we got, we got Ant-Man quantum mania and they got the towering (laughs) inferno. (laughs) This, this would, this was an event film. This was an event film because of the amount of star power in it, et cetera. This was definitely would have been considered definitely an event film went on to, I think, win and get nominated for many Academy Awards um, and rightfully so. But one of the best, like I said, that's what I, I, I appreciated about this quite a bit is the O'Halloran character just keeps going about his business. We don't even get like what you might get nowadays where he finds a quiet room and he's just staring and he's like, you know, maybe what's it all worth or whatnot. Or, or, you know, or he doesn't, he, you know, or it breaks down or, and cries or, or something like that. Or he breaks down yeah. and cries or whatnot. No, this guy goes about his business because this is his job, this is his duty, and his job, he's under the realization he is not going to save everyone. And I think at some point he even makes a mention of that at some point where we're not going to save everyone, but we can save people. You know, and that is how he goes about his business And that's what I loved about his portrayal. He didn't care. And you didn't get in this either of the, oh, you know, politicians getting in the way of more resources or blah, blah, blah. You don't get any of that either. and, And that's what I think is interesting is that here you have a disaster film that is a no nonsense film. There, there is, there's no camp in this whatsoever that you might see later on in some other you know disaster films it it plays it straight you know yeah i mean i think 
you know, for as much crap as James Cameron's Titanic got, I feel like that's as close to kind of a throwback disaster movie as yeah. you, know, you could get, certainly in the late 90s. Um, there's a lot of Titanic in this. I think this is a much better film. Yeah. But it's strange. I got to go back and watch Titanic again because it's been a <laughs> while. But in both, it's it's weird because in both cases, you get the feeling that the directors were really invested in the spectacle and what the special effects technology could do to really right. wrap up the audience. But with the towering inferno, it's like the fire keeps evolving and changing and that affects the characters and the decisions they have to make. Whereas with Titanic, it's like, yeah, the boat keeps getting deeper and deeper, <laughs> but eventually it just becomes more about the boat and, right. and the two main characters. Whereas this thing you're invested in like six or seven different plot lines. And I mean, invested, like, yeah. you know, what's going on with these people's lives. You hope they have a happy ending. Most of them, but it's like, yeah, I, it's hard. It's it's hard to articulate. It's even harder to fathom that you got all of this squeezed into two hours and forty five minutes, and you feel like you've really followed these people's you know journeys. Yeah, because they each get their moments. I mean, and it's like I said, it's really the way it's written. Characters get their moments, but they get their moments and dialogue pretty much in a natural form to where you could see these conversations being had by these characters there's a there's a side couple that's the thing is you got all these these big stars of that then you've got a side couple who the lady starts talking about oh our daughter uh she's not even going to know where to find the safety deposit box key for it you know because they she's resigned herself that her and her husband are going to die here and they haven't been able to call her her daughter i think that <clears throat> i'm pretty sure that was the the mayor and yeah his wife. it was the mayor and his wife that's right yeah and that, you know, again, a movie today, certainly, they would have been two-dimensional elite characters who they would have been probably scrambling to get on that chair. But in this movie, they seem to be decent people who've got a life outside of this and they've got a dollar that they really care about. And they're thinking about mm -hmm. these kinds of things that, you know, you don't really think about until you're facing you know, certain, yeah. <laughs> certain death. Like, I don't, I don't know where my safe deposit box key would be. I don't think I have a safe deposit box, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't think about it until you're right. starting to think about like, you're going through all the important things in your life and who you're going to leave behind. Like, mm -hmm. Oh shit. I, I wish I would, I wish I were going to be around to help them. And I hope I still can. Yeah. And, and you get so many of those moments with these characters that it's just like, you get the the subplot with uh, you know Richard Chamberlain and his wife, you know who's the daughter in law of uh, Duncan who who built the building, and there's a whole story with these folks as well that you manage to touch and get enough to where you're like oh where you can piece things together, it's amazing. And <clears throat> even when we get our two alphas, if you will, Steve McQueen and Paul Newman together, the architect, and when Steve McQueen shows up, there's not oh. I'm not going to do this because this is my building or whatever. It's like Steve McQueen's character, O'Halloran, shows up and goes, hey, can you do this? And he's like, yeah, I can in about one minute. Okay. And they just, they these two just play, they just work together. There's not a, like a clash of egos like you're used to also seeing maybe in a film like this. Both of them are playing their characters like they know what they're good at and they play to their strengths, and they're doing their best. 
Well, yeah. Uh, and from what I understand, it's, it's a tribute to their uh, talents as actors because apparently there was a lot of drama between the two of them. Oh, I believe it, yeah. Um, you know, behind the scenes. But yeah, you got the feeling that and they don't, they don't really get to. It's it's very much another diehard situation, yeah. <laughs> kind of like with McLean and the cop. They they're communicating with each other, uh, or working together, even though they're not always mm -hmm. aware of it throughout the the disaster. And then at the end, when the smoke is cleared, literally they kind of confront each other. I mean, yeah, they they did work together on on setting up the charges and all that, but it's very late in the movie. Yeah. Um, well, they but started yeah, earlier when he patched their the firefighters into the phone, and then he he went off. So they do separate, but they initially did meet. Right, but that's right. But yeah, but the the bulk of their relationship right. in the movie happens separately, and they kind of come together at the end. But yeah, they just come off as two. Well, yeah, we got to get this done, uh, <laughs> guys, and it's. I don't. I can't quite put my finger on it. They're not. It's not stoicism. They're not like hardened badasses. They're just. They seem like real people. People that I, I wish I could be in that kind of situation. But I'd be one of the guys <laughs> cowering in the corner, like, please come take me away. Yeah, and and that that's what I loved about their characters of just the way they handle every all the situations involved in this. Um, you know the 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 building is on fire and these guys still just go about they're not trying to be heroes necessarily they're just trying to save people but you don't have hero moments in that it just it's hard to describe how it's handled with this but even with the direction and and the camera work and everything and music john williams score by the way which is before star wars so it sounds very different than the john williams you might be used to hearing is <laughs> this is a very different score for him um but it's just everything about it. it is it's you're you're invested, you're engrossed. There's there's harrowing situations, surprises. There's a character in here who's deaf. A, a mom, the mom of the two two kids, she's deaf. Uh, O.J. Simpson shows up. He's a security guard. What help me help me out here, Mark? What happened to O.J. Simpson's character? I feel like I missed something. He kind of he kind of did. well, he rescued. He rescued the, the mother and then he oh, rescued yeah. the cat and he managed to get down the stairs earlier before more things exploded. Um, Did he? Because I, I remember him rescuing the cat and then I don't remember. seeing. Yeah, no, he he went he he rescued the cat and then, yeah, you don't really see him till you don't really see him until the end of the film with the cat because he gives it to Fred Astaire because the cat belonged to. The lady oh. Fred Astaire was wooing. She's the one that saved the girl before she fell out of the yeah. uh, observation elevator. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I don't know where he went before that. He just it's kind of assumed he just went downstairs. You know, he made it downstairs because not all the stairways right away were blocked off. But, yeah, it was like and, and the way they paint the situation is amazing because as the film goes along it looks more and more dire O'Halloran saving some people but then every solution they come up with ends up at some point falling through and they can only grab you know rescue so many people here and there um and I just I just love how you're like okay you know Steve, they've got the chair thing going 
And then they're like, well, they only got about 15, 20 minutes. Okay. How are they going to get out of this? You know, you, you're, you're, you're thinking of more modern context of, oh, they're going to have some super, you know, and then they're like, yeah, no, Halloran, you need to go up there. And then we're going to talk to the architect because he's the only one who knows where to place the charges. And uh, you're going to go blow the 2 million gallons of water that are at the roof of the, uh, the, the tower. Yeah, the promenade that where all the men are now who are left. Yeah, you guys might survive. <laughs> Some of you, and you're like, Holy shit. You're like, so just when you thought, okay, we know what cast of characters are going to make it to the end of the film. Then they throw this in the mix. And then you're just like, well, who's going to live at the end of this movie now? And, and you know, they, they, they throw that at you. So it's like. Yeah, it's. The thing is they have this whole thing where they they get more rope and they tie each other to these columns and to furniture and basically anything that, that they think is going to be stable. Um, but the 2 million gallons of water, you realize how powerful that is because it basically destroys like most of the ropes. Like you see these people just like they're tied down to a column and all of a sudden they're, they're breaking free. Like, did they not tie it? No, they did. It's just the, the force of the water <laughs> destroyed the ropes. And you see bodies like flying and tumbling and sliding everywhere and, and falling into walls. It was basically just luck of which way you got, you know, washed, you know, did you get washed out over into the city through a broken window or did you get washed like behind the bar and you're kind of like stabilized there? The, you, that last sequence you in a movie that's full of sequences involving fire, it ends with water and it's just as amazing and like tense as anything in the previous two hours. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and then at the very end, you know, Halloran, he's like he he looked at the architect and goes, Hey, it could have been worse. We we lost less than two hundred people out of the, you know, thousand some in the building. And and he takes that as a win, you know, which shows you the the mindset he has to be in in the job he's in, you know. Um and then they well, he, and then they have that exchange about architects and you know, maybe, you know, we'll stop having this if they, they'll ask us to start building the, designing the buildings. Yeah, he's like, I'll give you a call. Uh, or it's like, you know where to find me. Yeah. Um, I did like uh, Newman's line about like, maybe, I think, I think Faye Dunaway asked him like, what, what, what do we do now? Is like, I think we should just leave it, like leave the building yeah. here as a, as a, as a, as a, as a monument to this kind of <laughs> fucking awful business disaster. Yeah, he says that that you know uh, they they kind of want to leave it as this <laughs> remembrance of you know the hubris or whatever of of cutting quarters in corporate America and and how it could cost lives when you get to dealing with safety and and that and uh, yeah I mean the tower itself uh, you know going going to the practical and the production stuff we talked about it, there's a lot of sets involved in here a lot of practical effects of course obviously fire and that with our main actors by the way in fiery sets uh, but then they made the the tower and i i shared it with ian uh and, and i'll put a link in the body of this uh description here but there's a picture out there of the tower that they built for this the quote-unquote miniature which is freaking tall 
And they, I mean, it's huge for a miniature. They got it on a crane and everything. And I think that helped sell the idea because even though, you know, it's 74 and the special effects that they had for this, you know, they had a lot of casts. So special effects not necessarily are the, the greatest, but they're still impressive. And the way they shoot this miniature, I thought was very impressive. Yeah, I mean, there was... <sighs> I think it's only because I was aware as a you know film critic and all this other stuff that they couldn't actually do any of this stuff with the giant tower. They couldn't put people in danger. Yeah. So it's special effects and miniatures. I was aware of that. But that took a backseat to the story and the amazing camera work and the amazing miniatures and the practical fires that they had going on because you're right, Mark, you realize that they've got Steve McQueen walking <laughs> like with a team of firemen, like going to check out a corridor and like right around the corner is a group of other firemen, you know, with an actual inferno going on. It's not like rear projection or CGI or anything like how the hell did they make movies like this back then? Uh, but it, it's, it felt, it felt completely real. I would love Maybe, you know, next year's the, the, the 50th anniversary of this movie. Mm -hmm. I hope it gets some kind of a release, even if it's like just at art house theaters or something like that, because this would be amazing on the big screen, I think. Oh, yeah, I would. I would. This would be one that I wouldn't mind at all sitting in a theater and, and visiting again, for sure. Um, you know, it, it, I, I would I would love to see this because of the cinematography and stuff that they put in this film. Uh, is amazing uh, for what they do. Like I said, the sets, there's a multi, there's like this multi-layer set to where the stairway blows away and Paul Newman's character has to rescue, help the kids down as well as uh, uh, one other person um, down the scaffolding that's bent and they're hanging there. They're literally hanging. It's, it, it's very impressive when you realize how much of this is really practical set. And how much you know? It, it's real. It's not CGI fire. This is this is real fire that these guys are doing. And um, yeah, right. I mean, in that particular scene, it wasn't so much the fire. It was that the the stairwell had collapsed below right. them, and they couldn't go up, so they had to get from one landing down to another and there was like a giant chasm <laughs> basically underneath this rickety you know bit of you know railing and even though you know it's a sound stage and all the other stuff but you see paul newman and the the kid actors one of whom was bobby brady from the baby Brady, yeah, right <laughs> um right uh, but you had to you saw them like contorting and twisting their bodies and climbing so it's a very physical physically demanding thing it wasn't a lot of like cutaways of like oh i can just pretend i can look like i'm starting down the railing and i'll get a stunt guy or whatever it looked like people actually trying to escape uh danger and that just th there's another scene where newman is uh in it's the cement i think it's the mm -hmm. cement scene oh where yeah, yeah yeah the doors to the promenade yeah. is blocked so he has to go up into the ceiling and ends up going there above this shaft leading all the way down I know it was a matte painting, but it looked the really camera good. angle is right on top of him. I, I honestly got freaking vertigo because I felt like he could fall into that matte painting. <laughs> no, it was a really good, it was a really good matte painting. Uh, 
and it looked real. Yeah. So they, I mean, they, they put a lot of work into this film and for 71, according to box office, it made a hundred million dollars. Biggest box office draw of 1974. And it was released in December. (laughs) Well, I guess, you know, it warm you up during the cold season, but um, yeah, but like, why don't, why don't people talk about this movie anymore? I, I'm not sure it's, you know, well, I mean, it's not on streaming. You, you got to buy it if you, it, well, I mean, it's, it's on digital, but you got to buy the digital if you want, or you can buy the physical copy um, with the cast and everything. You would think more people would talk about it because the stuff they do in here and that is, is damn impressive, especially for the time period that they made this in, you know, um, which apparently the, we mentioned Poseidon Adventure. They did use some bit actors from Poseidon Adventure in this. So there you go. Um, but what's what, what's even more astounding, this is done by the same director who just the year before did Shaft in Africa. <laughs> he did El Condor. He did, he did you know, uh, Tarzan goes to India. He did... You know, I mean, this is a guy who uh, then after Towering Inferno, he followed it up with that King Kong remake in 76. But then he did Death on the Nile. So, I mean, this guy, the director here, this was his first like disaster film to direct. You know, in prep, when I was I I mentioned I talked about this movie on my show a few years ago. I think I think I was talking to it with about with Pat, and I think he recommended it to me. Mm-hmm. And I was hesitant. I think I'm about to answer my own question because I'm like, okay, it's the Towering Inferno. It's from the '70s, and it's one of those all-star cast disaster movies. I thought, I think what had kept me away from it up until that point was like, oh, this is going to be cheesy yeah. and just bad and terrible special effects and like you know probably some disco music or something like that. <laughs> But I watched it, and even more so the second time, because I kind of knew what to expect right. so I could really zero in on other things. I'm like, this is a really powerful movie. And maybe it is, people don't talk about it because it's the 70s, because it's almost 50 years old. And, you know, as we know, anything that came out before, before 2000 might as well have come out in 1922. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is the kind of thing I feel like, Again, if you could do like a big re-release push, maybe because everything's on strike and closed down, this will be the opportunity to like bring awesome films, overlooked films back to the cinemas. Uh, Because I feel like if you get people to watch it, there's nothing that feels particularly dated in the movie. Yeah, the the switches and the control boards and oh, our state of the art technology. It looks like Buck Rogers, but you get past that and you're left with a story that is going to be more enriching than any action movie you've seen outside of RRR uh, in the past five years. Got to got to throw that caveat in there. Uh, got to. Uh, although there's a new new uh, action film, Bollywood action film out now, uh, Patha, or I forgot how it's pronounced, Pathau or something. I forgot what it is, I... but it's it looked pretty insane, but it's out now. But um yeah you're right uh there's not too much to date it outside of the knobs and buttons that they use which i loved i loved seeing all the them use the buttons and knobs very visual um but at the same time a lot of the things that they cover and and, and themes in that in this 
could apply to today, even more to in some respects, as far as the firefighters fighting the fire in the tower, seeing how they handle a high rise tower fight, you know, firefight. Um, very, very harrowing stuff. You could tell they were trying to get accurate. It did feel like it was accurate too, as far as what the procedures were with what the, the way the firefighters handled the fire on the floors too, how they went about it. Apparently an, a real fire broke out and Steve McQueen helped the real firefighters fight it out on set. Wow. Yeah. Um, and they hired about a thousand real firefighters for the film too. So. Well, that's the other thing, like during one of the establishing shots or one of the cutaways to the street, you know, late in the film, you see all these fire trucks and you just see like the snakes of the fire hoses, like overlapping each other, completely covering this plaza. And you're like, oh, my God, they brought everybody in for this, for this, for this blaze, for the blaze. Yeah. And it's it's impressive. And you can see where. Uh, the care was put in and like we mentioned it bookends with dedication to the firefighters those who do fight fires for uh, you know to protect people and rescue people from uh, awful situations like that and and there's care done when it comes to the firefighters they don't they don't get cheesy lines there's a couple guys in in the one stairwell that get get some fun lines because they're buddies but at the same time all of it's handled with care and I think I think that's the big thing. I think it's all done with care and careful calculation because this is film. <laughs> they didn't have digital where we could just shoot forever or they could rely on, oh, we're just going to shoot this on, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll composite it in post or whatnot. So I think they had to be more meticulous in what they were doing. Not only, you know, the sets, but then safety of your actors too, but also still make it, harrowing or intense or emotional however you want it um a lot of the sets filled with smoke for a lot of the film that couldn't have been easy for the performers <laughs> you know like we mentioned real fire there's one scene where the firefighters are in the hallway trying to control the fire and there's actually flame along the ceiling above them and it's just like you know, this is re this isn't like CGI fire. This is all like real fire in this in this film. Um, oh yeah, there's the the one guy. There was the scene where a bunch of people left the promenade, you yeah. know, to get on the elevator when they weren't supposed to, because the idea is, well, this could open up on one of the floors and where the fire is and incinerate everyone. Of course, it does, but then it comes back to the floor and it opens up. And a guy comes stumbling out of the elevator on fire and he dies. And there's a really quick shot. Like it's almost in the background where you can see the other piles of bodies that were in the elevator with him. Like this is a PG rated movie. Yes, <laughs> it is. It is intense. Well, well, never mind the fact, you know, when we mentioned the uh, Wagner scene, when he decides to try to make a run for it, there, it's an extensive scene for someone to be on fire, but the stunt performer, whatever, who they have, he's running through and he's on fire and his character, he's got to act and he acts like he's going to make it. And you watch him slow down and he's still trying to fight. And then his body just kind of goes rigid and he just falls forward. He's on fire the whole time. There's an actual person on fire, stunt double or not. And you're just like, damn. 
what I loved about that scene is not the performance enhanced this, but we're kind of at a distance watching this full like wide shot of him going through this. We can see what he can't. Yeah. He's he's got the towels wrapped around his head. He's going into this room. He vaguely knows which direction he needs to go, but as things are falling down on him and he's tripping over furniture and like there's fire coming at him from all these directions, you just imagine like he can barely see. He's probably suffocating. He's hot. He's partially on fire. If he's stumbling around, he's trying trying to get his bearings. He's probably dizzy. You just feel everything he's feeling in that moment. You're like, just fucking dude, give up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a moving film. It's emotional. It's well crafted. I was impressed. I mean, I had heard stories about you know how good it was, and I liked the cast, but I just I did not expect it to have the film be as good as it is. And again, maybe there is a bit of an extra level of not only appreciation for you know firefighters and such, but also an extra level of meaning and eeriness to with the things that are portrayed given the events, you know, uh, in 2001 and maybe that contributed to it. But at the same time, what's more eerie is the fact that the way they portrayed it in the movie is kind of how it played out in real life. And that I think was like added just that extra little extra layer to where I appreciated the film even more in many respects you know with with their their how they portrayed situations would go yeah i just had a chilling thought um you know people who are trapped in that trapped in those towers on 911 how many of them were thinking about the towering inferno oh. while it was going on that, like just that that movie imagery being stuck in your head and yeah, that had to be something. So, I mean, <sighs> not try to bring the show down or anything, but, it, <laughs> but it, it, it's just, you know, uh, real life events and, and you see a movie like this and it it, it hits you uh, differently a little bit, um, you know, but even just that aside, this film by itself should be seen, I think could be seen by more people, but more people might nowadays uh have issue with it um you know those of us who who lived during through it you know maybe a young generation went because many of them um only seen the the you know did not witness stuff live like we had um but just just seeing that here yeah you you could feel it this is this is one of those films where you can see why it's a classic it's not being overblown it's not being overrated there is so much good filmmaking and elements and acting going on in this movie that you've got to appreciate it. And you're right. There is a misstep nowadays for films like this. I think they're done more campy. Usually they're not, there's serious moments, but there are camp moment, more camp moments now in it than there were before. Whereas this one. Yeah. It's straight all the way through. It really is. You know, uh, and that that adds something to it, adds some more meaning to it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> I mean, Die Hard might have been the, I, I would probably have to go back and trace the history of blockbusters and all that stuff. But I feel like Die Hard was sort of the beginning of the trends that we're seeing now where you've got like the hero and he's kind yeah. of like wisecracking and stuff. But 
since that was the template, you still had that towering inferno sensibility where Die Hard is a serious movie. And John McClane, you know, as portrayed classically by Bruce Willis, is the reluctant hero thrust into these situations. But he's dealing with terrorists. And so he's kind of, you know, messing yeah. with them. But then you've got scenes like when he's, you know, picking glass out of his feet and he's like, you know, really upset about the fact that he might not ever see his family again. You really feel like he's still a person. Flash forward to like Die Hard 5 and he's a cartoon character yeah. and emblematic <laughs> of everything else that's wrong with the yeah. genre. But yeah, I think I think Die Hard and dude, that's how you do it. A uh, double feature of Die Hard and Towering Inferno. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> There you go. You got about six hours to burn. <laughs> uh, Die Inferno Heimer. I don't know. Heimer. Die Inferno Heimer. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a scientist. Ah, here's Dr. <laughs> Die Inferno Heimer. Uh, <laughs> He's a proctologist. He's a proctologist. No. <laughs> Open wide. Anyway, but. With that, I think we will wrap it up here, folks. Uh, so I think uh, your, your your final thought with Towering Inferno. Uh, <laughs> you know, six years ago, I would have said this sounds like a hot mess. But ah. uh, no, <laughs> right now I can say this movie is fire. <laughs> no, it, it's lit. <laughs> it, it, it's, to it's totally lit. Totally. Um, but yeah, if you've made it through this entire discussion, spoilers and all, and you've never seen Towering Inferno, we haven't ruined it for you. It is a movie that needs to be seen, experienced, and loved. And, you know, but, but maybe just pump the brakes and wait, wait for next year. See if there's an anniversary or something, yeah. because I'll be there watching this on the big screen if it comes out, because it's it's a masterpiece. So if Fathom Events at all just happens across our little sliver of the internet, bring us the Towering Inferno for 50th anniversary. Because yeah, I'd I'd watch it, I'd watch it for sure. Oh man, you know what that means though. When I turn fifty, never mind. I don't want to think about it. I'm not gonna think about it. Oh, oh not quite. Okay, we're done. We're done here. <laughs> we're not gonna think about that anymore. What we are going to do is give uh, my guest here the license to shill as always. So Ian, please, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. Um, I'm Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com. And also on YouTube, if you look up Kicking the Seat, you'll find me there. Do uh, reviews and interviews and live streams and all that good stuff. Um, and this Wednesday, uh, September 6th, not August 6th, as I mistakenly put in my thumbnail. Thanks, David Fowley, for pointing that out. Um, we're going to be talking about Equalizer 3 the Denzel Washington movie, which opened this weekend, which I'll be seeing tomorrow. So hopefully it'll be uh, worth talking about. <laughs> and uh, otherwise I'm here on Monday nights, uh, talking movies with Mark, one of my favorite things to do all week. Well, well, we are honored and I am humbled. And I thank you for being here uh, next week. Yes, we will be talking about Inferno, the 1980 Dario Argento film. Uh, another first watch for me. So that should be fun. Uh, but yeah, so that's going to be next week at the same time, 930 live. And then uh, the last two films of the month, you can see them on specialmarkproductions.com for the schedule. But it's going to be uh, The Green Inferno the week after next. And uh, we're going to close it out with Pacific Inferno, a film starring Jim Brown, which I didn't even know existed. It's on Tubi. I saw the trailer and I'm like, I've got to talk about this film. So. <laughs> 
that's what you're in for folks so thank you so much for tuning in and until next time we'll just say a good night everyone good night Hey everyone, looking for more Spoiler Room goodness? Then head on over to patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions where you can get access to even more wonderful podcast content. Hear the conversation that happens before the live broadcast. You can also get access to an exclusive VIP episode that you vote on that's especially for you or get early access to all our videos on YouTube plus more. So check it out there, folks. And the more you do there, the more we can do here. And remember, with the Spoiler Room, the conversation is fresh, uh, but we do spoil the movies.